In the rugged and remote Taranaki region of New Zealand runs a Waimeti stream and the isolated Manuka forests, home to the bees that produce some of the most natural, pure Manuka honey in the world. Manuka honey is a great daily immune booster, digestive remedy and an anti-inflammatory. It's also a great alternative to sugar and a powerful ingredient for longevity. Waimeti honey is a high quality New Zealand Manuka honey now available in Australia at Woolworths right around the country. And even better, every time you buy Waimeti honey, 10% of your purchase goes towards the regeneration of hive numbers to increase the world bee population. More honey, more healing, and more health for humanity. Waimeti honey, find it now in Woolworths stores right around Australia. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Christoph and Dr. Brett Hill. Hey, Brett. Hey, Damo. What are you working on at the moment, mate? Well, I'm working on a few things, Damo. I'm writing a book, but what I've just finished working on is my Art of Natural Running e-course, oh. and I'm really excited about it. So, you know, I've been going around Australia doing this uh, this live course where I was teaching people how to run naturally, and uh, and what I realized was that I couldn't get around to everybody uh, and that it was hard to get around to everybody all around Australia and even outside of Australia, people who wanted to learn about how to run naturally and how to run it more easily, how to make it more fun and how to get less injuries. And so I decided to put it all together into e-course, which is about five and a half hours worth of video content. Oh, far out. That's unbelievable. Where do people find it? So they can find it at theartofnaturalrunning.com and they'll be able to hear not just from me, but from experts like Danny Dreyer from Chi Running, we've got Kim Morrison, we've got Kelly Starrett from Mobility Ward, and we've even got a guy called The Barefoot Podiatrist, who's my favourite, good bloke. So, theartofnaturalrunning.com. Hi, this is Damien Christoph. And this is Brett Hill. Hello, mate. G'day, buddy. Good chat today. I really enjoyed this one. It's been a, a topic of a little bit of controversy over the last few weeks. People wanting to know a bit more information about honey mm. and the different sorts of honey, the different types of trees, the different sort of flowers, the different sort of uh, health benefits and antibacterial properties. So we thought we'd just get someone in to really clear the air, which was great. Absolutely. There's a few sticky questions in there too, isn't there? Oh, Damo, oh. you couldn't help yourself, could you? <laughs> That's so punny, I'll tell you what. But uh, our great mate, James, actually, James is a ripper bloke, and James Annabelle... For, for a Kiwi. For a Kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> he's, no, he is. He's seriously a really great bloke. And uh, we actually had him over at our place, um, when was it? It must have been a few months ago, I reckon, and we had him over here. He spent the day with us and hung out with some other friends of ours, and they all reckon he was a good bloke too, so he must be a good fella. Um, but uh, he's very knowledgeable in this whole honey thing, and obviously we did a great interview um, only a few months ago on Kanuka, which is a, a kind of a, a cousin to Manuka, and uh, we learned some great things about Kanuka, but this particular podcast highlights the difference between Manuka and Kanuka and other um poly or multi-floral type honeys and it, that's a really fascinating discussion there's also things that we talked about you know in around bee health and hive health and the health of um of australian honey versus kiwi honey it was a really good chat i found you know what i found really interesting i found really interesting learning about the the heat properties and and the fact that that one of the reasons manuka honey is so good is that it's able to be heat treated but retain the benefits the antibacterial benefits i didn't know that was true so i thought 
that was fascinating. Mm, isn't it fascinating? It's so good. This is actually a really good chat, and uh, and I hope people actually get a chance to listen to this whole chat the whole way through, put up with the dad jokes, and uh, and get into it because it's um it's a really great informative podcast, and uh, you know it's one of the one of the top ten for me, I reckon. Oh, let's get into it, Damo. Mate, it's going to be a great podcast today with our great mate James Annabelle over the ditch uh, in New Zealand. Uh, talk about Manuka honey. Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad because people have been asking about honey, Damo. We did a honey interview a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, and it's got lots of people wanting to know more about particularly Manuka honey and what are the benefits of it and how, where does it come from and why is it so good? So we thought we'd get the experts in. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, when I was in... Um, I was in at Expo West in California, and I met James over there, and we hit it off. He's a good fellow. He's actually a really good dude, and uh, he knows a lot about honey. So welcome to the show, James. It's great to have you here. Welcome all the way from New Zealand to uh, to Australia. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. James, um, what's your background? How do you know so much about Manuka honey? Um, I was actually playing rugby um, professionally over in Hong Kong, and I got approached by a honey company, um, a New Zealand honey company, big producer, when I was over there to see if I could um, help their um, their sales and head up their Asia sales. Um, and from there, I, I basically knocked on a whole lot of doors and timed it pretty well because it's a pretty hot product in Asia, as you probably know. And from there, I, I fell into the honey industry. Um, and after a few years, I um, decided that it was probably time to go out and do something on my own. And I ended up buying my father a beehive for Christmas and told him that he'd better go and buy a bee suit because he's got to go and pick it up. And from there, um, we, we bought another 100 a month later. And from there, we've grown into a, into a beekeeping business with over 4,000 hives here in New Zealand and um, a, a honey company that's, that's packing and, and trading over 700 ton, 700 ton of, uh, of honey a year, most of which is Manuka. Oh, I like this. I like this. I want to know more about your first beehive because I, uh, I've i got a little place up in the Adelaide Hills. We've got an acre and I have considered getting a beehive, even though as a child, I was severely allergic to bees and had to go through a bee sting desensitization program. And I want to find out whether <laughs> I'm wanting to find out whether it worked or not. And then if it has worked, I want to get a beehive because I'm really fascinated. So tell us about your first beehive and, and how, uh, how you went about learning how to look after bees. How difficult was it? How many times did you get stung? That's the really important one. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I'm actually reasonably allergic myself, um, and have had to have had to use the EpiPen a few times just to, to get myself back um, in, in condition. But okay. um, so so with our business, my father Toby he runs all of the, the beekeeping and the operation side of the business, um, and I end up running sort of the office and the export and. Um, I'm CEO, if you want, for, for want of a better title. Um, but um, it's important that you are educated around the bee, the beehive side of things, because there's a lot of um, you know diseases and, and different things that can affect bees. Is it's quite a popular um, topic around the world at the moment. Um, the, the bees are in decline, so it is important that if you get one, that you do uh, you, you do learn a bit of the skills and um, and the diligent around disease checking and, and things like that. What do you mean the bees are in decline? Are they just dropping off? What's happening? They are, and there's a number of there's a number of theories um, why they are. In New Zealand, we're actually lucky off the we, we have a limited um, number of bee diseases here, so our bees are in relatively good health, um, and we don't you know the use of antibiotics in, in beehives in New Zealand is, is illegal, um, so there's no there's no antibiotics to kill any disease. Um, 
which is which is very unique. Most of the world are using antibiotics to keep bees alive, um, and without human intervention, um, bees just wouldn't survive. Um, and there's all sorts of theories around. I mean, they they hammer the bees in places like the US where they're they're pollinating almond crops and things like that. The bees are just shifted all around the country. Um, it's, it's really quite hard on them. It's quite sad, really. All right. That's wow. incredible. Are we using antibiotics over here in Australia in our bees? Um, I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but my I'm 99% sure you are um, for um, things like American fowl brood and, and European fowl brood. Um, they are using antibiotics in, in Australia, yes. Wow. Wow. So this sort of leads us into what is special about your honey. Obviously, the fact that it is coming from New Zealand um, and the fact that it is manuka honey. And, and lots of people will know about manuka honey and they'll have heard about manuka honey, but they might not know specifically why it is so good. So can you tell us a little bit about the background of manuka honey, where it comes from and why it's so good? Yeah, sure. So, so manuka honey... Um all of our manuka honey comes from New Zealand, and what's unique about manuka honey is a property. It's a, it's a naturally occurring chemical in it called methylgloxal, and you'll see that stated as MGO quite often on the jars um, in the supermarket or in the pharmacies and things. And then we're also a member of, a, of the UMF Honey Association, and you'll see it rated for its UMF, which is a correlation between. It was a direct correlation from MGO to, to UMF. Let's have a, chat. Let's have a chat about that later on. Those different right. uh, things, yeah, because that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to cut a long story short, um, the methylgloxal in the honey is responsible for what is called non-peroxide activity. Now, all honey have some has some sort of antibacterial property, um, but it's normally due to peroxide activity, and that diminishes when it's exposed to heat, light, saliva, enzymes in the blood, etc. But non-peroxide activity, which is found exclusively in manuka, is stable when it's exposed to all of those elements. So that's quite often why you see manuka honey being used now in hospitals to kill um, superbugs and, and non-healing wounds, diabetic ulcers, etc. It's because that non-peroxide activity is very, very stable um, as an as a antibacterial property. And obviously, the higher the methylgloxal or the UMF number, the higher the level of antibacterial property in the honey. And that's all independently tested at a, at a um, laboratory here in New Zealand. So that's heat stable, you say. So you can yep. you can pasteurize your honey, do whatever you got to do. Because I know there's strict guidelines in certain countries that uh, require the honey is pasteurized before it's sold on the shelves. But is that uh, so? You can pasteurize it, and the MGO is retained. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. So that's that's what is unique about manuka honey. I mean, no other honey actually has MGO or methylgloxal in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and hence why it's um, you know, become so famous is because of the stable antibacterial properties. So you can put it into you know, warm water, hot water, um, all the properties uh, are retained. That's a great thing to know because a lot of people have honey and lemon drinks, right? And then quite often I'll suggest, I'll go and have manuka honey with honey with, with lemon and, and hot water. And I think, oh, you know, is that going to be bad? Is that going to muck things up? But uh, obviously it's not. So that's, that's Yeah, that's exactly. Good. Okay, yep. well, that's, yep. that's good. Now, you alluded before about uh, UMF, which um, a, a big company invented the term UMF, of course, and uh, that, that was kind of owned for a long time and was kind of under their kind of control. It, you mentioned that MGO is directly correlated with UMF. Can you talk much about the differences or what people should be looking for when they're looking for honey? Yeah, so so MGO or, or methylgloxal is the it's naturally occurring 
chemical marker, if you like, and it's that that is responsible for the activity in the honey. And so UMF is, is rated on the activity of the honey. So, for instance, a, a UMF 10 plus is the equivalent antibacterial property to a 10% phenol solution in a, in a laboratory situation in terms of how it kills bacteria. Okay, so um, if, uh, UF, if the marking of UMF, or what they used to call unique manuka factor, which we now know as MGO, if, that, yes. if, if it was MGO, if it was UMF 10 or UMF 20, um, yes. what would that be in terms of MGO on the label? So UMF 10, for example, is the equivalent of MGO 263. So on our honey, we label both just to take the confusion out. Yep. So we'll put an MGO 263 on the jar as well as the UMF 10 plus. Right. Um, and basically UMF is Unique Manuka Honey Factor Association is an association that we um, belong to and we pay levies and we pay fees. But at the same time, we get um, access to all of their research. They've got a science team. And also, we get independently audited. So they'll randomly travel around the world, take jars off the shelf, send it off to labs to be tested. And so um, when you're buying a UMF honey, you can be sure that, you know, we're going through some pretty stringent um, auditing processes. Whereas MGO on its own, a lot of honey is just rated for its MGO. Um you're really there's no association involved with that, so you're really just relying on the um, the credibility of the packer in that case. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. It's, it's reassuring to know that it has been tested and, and that it does have the good stuff in it that you need to get the result you need. And uh, you know, it seems like manuka honey is a little bit like coconut oil. You know, where people out there are using it for everything, like all sorts of stuff. So tell us a little bit about the uses of it. I mean, aside from you know, obviously eating it, and as Damien said, you know, putting it in your hot drinks and those sort of things, how else are people using this manuka honey uh, for its antibacterial properties? Yeah, so it, it's used topically a lot now um, in hospitals. So there's there's a number of FDA approved and um, CE for Europe approved um, advanced wound care dressings. So um, it's been really effective in healing things like you know diabetic ulcers and non-healing wounds. Um, it can be really, really effective. A lot of people use it um, on animals as well. So um, a lot of people that are into, you know, with horses and things, race horses, equestrian horses, um, they're using it to, to heal their cuts um, with, with great effect. Um, there's also some research coming out around uh, manuka honey having very, very potent anti-inflammatory properties. And, you know, we're of the belief that when the honey is ingested, it's actually the anti-inflammatory property that is making everyone feel so great and the reason they're buying more and more. And, you know, as you guys know and often talk about, um, anti- inflammation is the precursor to any ailment in the body. So you've got a sore throat, there's inflammation, you've got a sore gut, there's some form of inflammation somewhere. And um, that's why we, we believe that people are coming back for more and more of this honey is because um, after a few weeks of, of eating it every day, they're just feeling amazing, and and that's what we put it down to. Probably when you're ingesting it more so than the antibacterial property. Um, that's that's cool. Hey James, there's a, you know the, fortunately just recently in Australia um, the anti-sugar movement has moved on, which is great. Yes, um, yes. We're finally seeing the demise of that kind of craziness where people have been avoiding honey, bananas, blueberries, mangoes, watermelon. Um, because of it contains sugar. It's, there's a big difference between the sugar that's in honey versus the sugar that you might find in a processed pack of cane sugar that's now white, isn't there? There's a huge difference. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I won't go into the, the scientific part of it. That's probably for you guys as, as nutritionists. And um, But, I mean, it's obviously 100% natural product. And it's, I mean, if you saw where we harvest our honey from. Well, where do, um, where do you maybe, harvest your honey from? 
so so we put our bees in, in what you call a monofloral situation, and so basically that means that um, we're we're taking the bees to some of the most remote places in the world. Probably um, we have to use we do use helicopters a lot to to place the hives. Um, and while people you know might think there's a carbon footprint sort of argument there, um, we do it you know as much so we can get the hives into the monofloral situation where obviously there's no access for vehicles and um, pretty much areas that are untouched by humans. But at the same time as well, it's also good for the bees because we're not be- bouncing bees around on the back of a truck or anything onto onto farm and into rough tracks. And um, so, yeah, we use we use a lot of helicopters to place the hives. And um, as I say, some of the most remote areas you'll ever see. Um, oh, and I find that fascinating. So you you move the bees around to get them to the ideal place. I guess maybe because stuff is flowering at different spots at different times is, is that why you're moving them around and and what how does the process go then from you you know there's a hive dropped off by helicopter in some remote location how does the process go from there all the way through to the supermarket shelf like like that yeah. seems like you guys are doing the whole lot from go to oh that's amazing yeah, good question. Yeah, so we so we own the um, process from from beehive um, right through to we've got a big um, honey packing facility here in, in New Plymouth. Um, but basically, the, it, the the flower begins in the north of the country and it works its way down. This is the manuka flower, and in each area, it's only getting six. It only flowers for six weeks at a time. So there are some some beekeeping operations that chase the flower all the way down the country. Um, that can be pretty hard on the bees um, and. What we tend to do is we stick to our region because we know it well, and for six weeks we have opportunity to to basically get manuka. So the so you crank um, it out just in a six week period, like you're getting yep, your, your full dose in six weeks. Absolutely. So you can imagine every day of rain we have or cold weather where the bees aren't working um, is a day that you know we're. Do they, do they take a day off because it's raining? Yeah, they, I mean, if it's cold or it's raining, the bees don't work. Um, Jeez, and of course, you know, we can have some pretty dodgy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have some pretty dodgy summers in uh, in New Zealand as well. So, wow. Um, yeah, it's all it's a pretty pretty intense time. Um, so what we do is the bees will be um, on their on their spring sites, if you like, which is just around other areas of native bush. So we might get a um, a native bush honey flow just prior to the manuka, and then in our region, about the first week of January. The, the manuka will start to flower, and um, that's when we get all the hives basically to a site, and then we use the helicopters to place them in, in these remote manuka forests. So it's all, um, you know, wild manuka forest um, in, in the middle of nowhere, essentially. So you mentioned before, Jimmy, that uh, you've got um, monofloral honey, but in so in one situation where we're coming out of a season, um, the bees might get access to a number of other different flowers. How do you know that the bees have decided that it's time to just go manuka only? How do you how do you determine that? There's there's, uh, there's two ways. I mean, um, if you look at so one, it's like uh, I guess our low grade table, what we call our table grade manuka blend honey. What you've got there is you've probably got a situation where there's a lot of native bush around, so a lot of um, you know riwa riwa and all the, all the different native New Zealand um, forest trees, and there might be some manuka around. And so what you're getting there is you're getting a situation where the bees are naturally picking up a bit of um, a native um, forest honey, they're picking up a bit of manuka, they're bringing that back to the hive. And, of course, when we extract the, the, the honey into drums, 
what you're getting out is, is essentially a multi-floral manuka or a manuka blend, if you like. Um, still got some manuka in it, still tastes like manuka, but it hasn't got the same level of antibacterial properties. Um, and that's what we'd consider a, you know, a, a table-grade manuka honey. Um, and it's not until you really start getting into the monofloral situations where we're choppering in hives or taking them into areas where there's really no other flower that they can um, draw nectar from that's when you're getting the really, really high-grade manuka. And there's obviously a little bit of other science that goes into the back of, um, you know, some, some manuka plants produce a higher level of MGO than others, um, but that's, you know, the jury's still out on that science as well. It's still a lot of a bit of an unknown, which is, I guess, a great thing about nature. Um, so you have to essentially take the bees to a place where there's only manuka trees. I mean, what sort of location are we talking about here? Is this like a really, you know, do they like cold? Do they like hot? Is it high? Is it low? And what does manuka, what do manuka trees actually look like and what do the flowers look like? So the, the manuka trees, it's, it's a type of tea tree, if you like. Um, and basically it grows wild in the New Zealand hill country. So if you look at... Um, my family, they came out to, to New Zealand and basically what they did was they cleared every piece of bush and manuka they could so they could farm sheep and beef. And basically we've gone, you know, my, my grandfather spent, you know, his whole life clearing manuka to create farmland and here we are, however many years later, letting it all grow back on the wild hills because um, it's more sustainable to um, and, and, some, and in some cases more profitable to have beehives on your manuka than it is to have have sheep on some of that, that marginal hill country so it would be now um, for sure absolutely yeah. yeah and probably better for the environment you'd suspect too because um, uh in the downtime they could be working on other other trees and, and pollinating stuff so that's uh absolutely and if you look at some of the hill country erosion um that, that occurs when you've got you know heavily stocked farms and some really really steep country um all the sediment runoff and things into the rivers um uh, the, the beekeeping is a, a much more sustainable and environmentally friendly um land use option yeah yeah absolutely mate um it concerns me that bee numbers might be dropping and um and obviously that creates anxiety for anybody who's interested in the planet because if bee numbers are dropping then fruit's going to be affected um, avocados, you know, anyone who's into smashed avocados is going to suffer because avocados aren't going to get pollinated. <laughs> there's a real, there's a real anxiety around that. What, what's being done around bee numbers um, around the world in particular? Yeah, there's, there's lots of different things going on um, in Europe. They've um, they've just made some some recent changes on um, top seeds that can be used because um, it's affecting, or they believe that it's affecting. Um, bee health and bee population um, in New Zealand. In terms of seeds like uh, GMO seeds, that sort of thing, is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a quite a bit issue. in the media about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in New Zealand, we're relatively lucky, I guess, off the back of um, manuka honey being a, a reasonably um, profitable industry at the moment. Um, our bee keep our bee numbers are on the rise, um, and a part of that is that we have you know less disease in other countries and. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a great example of, of industry, um, you know, I guess creating enough um, desire that we can we can continue to, to grow bee numbers quite effectively in New Zealand. Um, so, it's, I mean, that's a good thing, I guess. So, can we talk about some of the – I mentioned at the start that there seems to be some confusion about the – 
manuka honey and then Australian manuka honey, which is the jelly bush, and then the kanuka honey. I mean, can you tell us about the difference between these different plants and, and I guess the difference between the resultant honey that comes from them? Yeah, so manuka, kanuka, um, jelly bush, which is found in Australia, they're all from a from the same species, very similar um, family of plants. And um, so jelly bush, which is found in Australia and commonly um, called manuka on the shelf, uh, is does have very similar properties to the, the New Zealand manuka honey. Um, the only thing is it is a different species. It's not the same species as what we have here. And... Um, it tends to taste quite a bit different. So in New Zealand, it's it's quite a pleasant tasting honey, um, and we also cream the honey, which is a very slow process where we where we cool it right down and, and stir it for up to forty hours before we pack it off. Um, in Australia, they tend to to flash heat the honey, um, to so it stays liquid. So you uh, in Australia, you used to liquid honey through eucalyptus honeys and things, and they do the same with the manuka. So you're packing it off, and they'll really flash heat it so that it doesn't go back to crystal too quickly um, whereas we go the other way around in New Zealand we um, we heat it enough to get out of the drum of course then it goes into a big cold tank where we stir it for 40 hours and get that nice cream texture so it's quite a different process um, no wonder your forearms you are so big texture. mate <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's unbelievable <laughs> but uh, from a like we've we've often said that uh, you know Aussie Manuka which I think we call that jelly bush is that correct so you used to call it jelly bush, right. um, and then obviously, if you can put the word manuka on something, um, you it's can like charge early. the manuka. You can charge the manuka tax. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, is it the same? You, like, you Aussies have, have jumped on the bandwagon, and um, <laughs> what do you mean, Pavlov is Australian anyway? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the crowded house and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. And um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm all for the buy local. You know, we actually have a, um, an operation as well in Australia where we buy honey from um, local beekeepers and, you know, we have really good relationships. So it's not, you know, we're not, we're not saying don't buy, buy the stuff. Um, it is a different product and simple as that. It does have a lot of the same properties, um, but, you know, in my opinion, um, and the opinion of most consumers, once I've tried the New Zealand stuff, um, they can see why it costs a little bit more, and um, why why people sort of rave about it, I guess. And then, I mean, I think that's an important thing as well. Is you know, with us, it's you know, okay. There's the there's the um, antibacterial properties and the health properties that come along with it, but um, we're also selecting on flavour. So. Um, we've got our own beehives and we also have a number of um, contracted suppliers and we sort of audit all their operations before they're allowed to supply us and um, a lot of that is we're, we're selecting the honey on, on what we believe tastes good and I think that's really important um, is that it's not just about you know mass production and you know trying to sell all these health benefits and things it's it's all about you know a lot more detail to the honey than, than you know just the antibacterial properties if you like. Hey, uh, James, I feel like you're trying to be too nice here. Like you're trying to, you know, not offend any of the Aussies. You're trying to be really diplomatic. Very so PC, let's just, let's just be really, let's be really blunt. Does the, the New Zealand on. Manuka, does the New Zealand Manuka taste better? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I am being diplomatic. There we go. But I've, there I've, it I've is. traveled around quite a few beekeeping operations in um, Australia and they're all great guys but I tell you what their honey tastes like burnt molasses and um, you know that's the difference that's the only way I can describe the stuff burnt molasses versus uh, 
yeah, true blue right. New Zealand and then, and then once again, the the health benefits. With a few of the suppliers now, but uh, I know, right? So, well, that's the way the health benefits, though. Like, like realistically, if we're talking the original New Zealand manuka plant compared to the other varieties you're talking about, in terms of what the research shows, in terms of the MGO, in terms of the UMF. Is it better in terms of those health benefits and the, and the quantity of those ingredients? I would say yes for the simple fact that, you know, it's not just the MGO that makes up the manuka honey. For instance, for us to be able to export manuka honey now out of the country, we have to go through um, a rigorous um, testing protocol that's been put in place by our government, um, by the Ministry of Primary Industries. So we're actually testing for five unique chemical markers that are only found in New Zealand Manuka. And I've actually done a test on this because um, I wanted to, to know that it is 100% unique. And I did send some Australian honey um, to the laboratory, um, to, the, to their bond. You're allowed to send Australian honey into New Zealand, but our lab's got a, um, a bonded area that we could we sent it to the New Zealand lab, and it didn't test up on any of these other attributes. MGO, yes, or methylgloxal. But on all of the other, you know, three phenolactic acid and all these other unique chemical markers, um, don't ask me uh, to quote the rest of them. But the New Zealand manuka honey did test up 100% unique in that in that sense. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, we uh, touched earlier on about the monofloral and the um, the multifloral, and the key thing that you guys test for and you make sure of with regards to your highest quality honey is that it's a monofloral honey. Um, and yes. part of what you've told me, um, both in this podcast and on you know off air, just in you know normal conversations, James, is that th- these factors that you find in manuka honey are only found in manuka honey. But there are other honeys out there that are suggesting that they do contain um, some of the properties that are unique to Manuka honey. Now, that would indicate to me that those honeys could in fact be mono, uh, polyfloral or multifloral honeys, not just a monofloral honey. A- am I getting that right? Yeah, there's a lot of blending that goes on. So this is another thing is um, in Australia, for instance, you can import honey from anywhere in the world. Um, so what you're quite often getting is, and, and some of the bigger names in, in Australian honey as well, what they're doing is they're importing honey from, you know, could be countries like Mexico, um, you know, different parts of South America, and they're blending that with Australian honey and passing it off on the front of the label as, for instance, a, a manuka honey. Um, and you would assume that it was probably either Australian or um, New Zealand honey, but if you go to the back of the mm-hmm. label, and you know, with the new um, foods labelling standards, some of these honeys have got less than ten percent Australian ingredients. Wow! And but then there's an assumption because that whole food labelling thing, which I think is bollocks. Let me just say, <laughs> absolute freaking rubbish. Um, what that what that could imply then, because it's manuka and there's an association, some people might go, "Well, it's only ten percent Australian honey. The rest must be from New Zealand." That's what many people would think, right? Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's either that or it's being blended with, you know, because what they might be doing is taking, for instance, so that might be on the shelf as a 10 plus honey. What they might be doing is taking a 20 plus honey that they're buying at drum level and blending it basically, 50, you know, 50 50 with a, with a honey from, mm. you know, South America. Mm. Now it's down to a 10 plus because it does work like that in terms of the, in terms of the activity levels. You can do that to the honey. So, so this happens in the honey industry, this, this conspiracy in the honey oh, industry. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's it's not even conspiracy. I mean, um, it's just it's fact, quite, and it's it's, it's quite concerning. Fact. And that's and that's I mean, that's another thing we market on is because in New Zealand it's it's illegal to import honey. So any honey that's coming out of New Zealand is a hundred percent New Zealand honey, and there's no chance that it's been blended with anything. And the, the the biosecurity laws here we have are extremely strict. So there's no way that you can get around that. Um, so you know that's something that we're reasonably proud of and as, as an industry um, we never want to see imported honey come into this country oh, i'm loving it i'm loving it now you are you didn't say this before but i know this james um you guys are contributing <laughs> what do you to know bee growth like you guys are contributing funds like a percentage of your sales of your honeys go to uh, foundations that have been set up to help assist getting more bees into the planet is that correct that's right. So we, we put quite a chunk of our revenue goes into into different um, charitable organisations, Trees for Bees and, and things like this, um, as well as, you know, putting significant um, money into um, – well, what we say is we put significant money into rejuvenating um, the world's bee population. And a lot of that as well goes into our own business in terms of we're splitting hives, multiplying hives, we're buying more hives and um, creating, a you know, a really sustainable um, growth of beehive numbers in our – in our business, but you know, also for the country and and the world, and it's um, it's something that's you know, it's more than just a marketing ploy. It's something that um, our business relies on. But like you alluded to earlier, the whole world relies on it. Without the bees, um, we all we all die, don't we? So, all right, um, all right, James, pretty- you've you've convinced me, James. We're we're doing <laughs> a good job. We're looking after the environment. We're getting yes. it from New Zealand, which means that we can guarantee it doesn't have cheap imported honey from other countries god knows where because it's not labeled and necessarily reported so it's a it's a quality product you know it'll come into australia it'll say zero percent australian ingredients because Absolutely. it's coming all from new it'll zealand 100 percent pure new zealand ingredients. but it is 100 percent from new zealand so you know the most some of the most pristine beautiful environments in the world i've been over there I've, oh, it's just an absolute sensational place it's gorgeous so we want to go and get this stuff where in australia can we go and buy this 100 percent beautiful honey yeah, so we, we recently launched our Waimiti Honeyco brand um, with Woolworths in Australia, um, which was great. It's gone into 900 stores. Um, you can't get it in the Western Australian stores at the moment, although we're working on that. Um, and, yeah, we've got three three SKUs in there, um, which is the MGO30, which is like a table-grade uh, Manuka honey that we talked about earlier. It's more of a blend. And then we've got our UMF5 and our UMF10+, plus, um, which is sort of, you know, it's got your high level of um, antibacterial properties in the honey. Love it, love it. So uh, there's plenty of opportunity for people to get it. Uh, you and I did have a little chat there, Jimmy, about bringing a bit of uh, manuka in and uh, and the good old forage, being able to sell that online. We've got to keep, keep yes. talking about that one. We'll have to get that happening, but uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, if I'll, t- I'll tell to- you what, Damo, I'll tell you what, getting some manuka honey, yes. pour it on your forage, oh. put it in the oven oh, and getting like a bit of a toasted granola, that would be good, Damo. Well, that was the chat, wasn't it, Damo? Well, um, oh. some Eg- Egmont honey, you can you can buy it on checkout when you buy your forage and yes. then throw it on your breakfast and you're away. I'm loving the sound of this. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> um, I know you guys have got a, a website ready to rock and roll um, shortly, um, but people can go and find out more about what you guys are all about at Egmont Honey. I, I suppose is that .co.nz, eggmonthoney.co.nz? That's the one. Yep. yep, and obviously exactly. go to Facebook, and you can check it out on Facebook too, right? 
Yeah, we do. We, we're pretty active on on Facebook, social media. It's a great uh, We're always there, running actually. different competitions in Australia as well. Yeah, there's some good some good commentary in yeah, the um, in the comments, chats. and we, yes. we 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 try to uh, answer all of them as well. So fire through your questions. Mm. Yes. Well, James, thanks so much for crossing the ditch and joining us today. It's been fascinating, enjoyable, no and insightful. I think a lot of people have got a lot of uh, info and intel from. Uh, from you today and I, and I know that um, my mindset and my thoughts around the differences in the honeys changed a lot today so thanks so much for sharing your time uh, thanks for having me guys appreciate it thank you so much everybody for listening to this week's episode of the wellness guy show we hope you love the new feel remember to continue to interact with us and tell us what you thought of this and other episodes please head to facebook.com forward slash the wellness guys and give us a five-star rating on itunes this is the way that we get to share our message with the world for more information about bredo and all that he's up to please head to drbredhill.com.au and to find out more about me head to damienchristoff.com until we meet again continue to bring wellness into your life and and we'll join you next time on The Wellness Guy Show. This year, The Wellness Summit returns. What is the ramifications for you if you continue to not know where your food is coming from and not make a hard stand about what you're consuming? Back in 1992, I didn't know how to cook. In fact, I ate really poorly as many of you know. But I now love it so much that when I go to prepare something, it becomes magical. Don't want you to be stuck in the, the crap that's happening. Know it, yes. Be aware of it, yes. But bring your vibration up so that we can vibrate at a higher level and collectively, we might be able to bring everybody up to make those changes. I love preparing it and I know that everyone who's eating it absolutely loves it. Even the bits that they don't want to eat, they love eating them because I love making them. Does that make sense? Cindy O'Meara and Damien Christoph feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.